Welcome to our July 12th, 2023 Community Policing Podcast. Today, uh, joining me is Lieutenant Brian Pizzuti. Brian is our uh, investigative lieutenant uh, within the police department. Uh, if I were to sit in here and list Brian's resume, we'd be here probably 20 minutes just, just doing that. Uh, throughout Brian's career here, uh, Brian and I actually hired on together the same day. Um, and throughout his career, he's really excelled in the area of uh, use of force expert um, and curriculum development for our training programs uh, within our agency. And really, uh, it's probably been a good 15 years ago now is when you really redeveloped and kind of recreated our use of force program, um, bringing us up to best practices at that time and then continuing it on. Uh, Brian also does um, outside consulting work with uh, a command presence, which is a well-known police uh, high-level police training company, uh, which is in bias training, um, leadership training. What else? De-escalation. De-escalation. Officer safety. Um, and culture design, designing cultures. And, and we're fortunate to have Brian on our staff as because that's you go across the country at times and, and teach for them, So, uh, which is a representative of our community. So we say we might teach for an outside agency or outside thing, but it really comes back, and, and it's an advantage to show the country and to show our residents what what we here in Bloomfield Township are all about and why we do the things we do. So let's start off a little, Brian, um, a, a little bit about, about your background. You, training's been your thing since, I mean, since the day we started here. Wh why? Wh why is it so important? Why for you? And why is it so important for our community and in, in our, in our police department? Well, this to start out with, um, I had some shoulder surgery done maybe 2008, give or take, something like that. And at that particular time, our agency wasn't very strong in training in the sense that we were consistent in what I call, I will call, defensive tactics program. Um, you had an outside vendor come in, and you paid an X amount of dollars for that person to come in, and at best, we trade maybe once a year. Uh, during my injury, I thought maybe there's something we can do to better the organization, better the program. And I always kind of like that physical kind of contact or something like that in a sense that um, officers need to be able to defend themselves. And, and you know, a good officer defending himself is obviously going to produce a good officer to protect, protect the community. So I was able to go, fortunate enough to go through several trainings. I went through several different trainings. Uh, I realized that why don't we handle this in, in, inside, in-house, because prior to that, we really didn't have much. Um, you hired in with me, you know that, we once a year at best. Uh, so I developed the program. I said, hey, you know, I'm going to combine all these different th uh, trains of thought, I guess you say, or patterns of defense. And I said, we can do this in-house. And I really put it to it. I submitted it to the administration, and it was approved. It was approved, and then from there, it was just it just kind of spun off. Uh, I was involved in the simunitions training where we do force on force. I was a basically a role player. I got shot up a bunch, several, several times before I was given the uh, the, the opportunity to go into instructor school, so I got involved in that. That kind of led into Taser, uh, which is another one of our intermediate tools that we use. So I went into Taser, so Defensive Tactics Taser. And one of the biggest things that I've, as I progressed in my career, I really studied and developed, or not so much developed at that time, studied the idea of leadership and how important leadership is in an organization. And I really had a strong influence in that. And I was fortunate enough where I was a few years ago, I was able to go to a command presence class. It was a trainer trainer course. It was a de-escalation course. And in order to, I guess, graduate or finish that course, you had to do teachbacks. And if you don't know, teachbacks is taking the materials they're presented through the week and then teaching back to the instructors so we can fully understand it. I was I, I did that and I was approached by the, the president of the company. 
said I really, really did a really good job. Several months later, he reached out to me. We had a meeting over breakfast, and he offered me a position. And we talked about one of the things that I strongly believe in is in mentorship, and mentorship not only for officers, new officers, but for leadership. So we discussed that, and then um, we had a conversation, and I signed a contract, and I've been teaching with them for almost two years now. Yeah, and again, that's the benefit to our agency because you can bring back what you learned there. Um, and again, the quality of instructors through there is is really second to none, right? And we talk about the best standards. What, what, one of the things I think that we have to discuss as well is I think sometimes there's a perception in when you think about law enforcement, we think of running and gunning and training all the time, right? Like, and But there's a lot more to building a foundation of the street-level police officer from the day they start till they make it to you know, 10, 15 years on the job. Um, how, I mean, how most people just don't understand how much we actually train, not just on defensive tactics and the importance of that, that type of training, like a mentorship program. Let's talk about that. Why would that be so important to a new officer? Well, the biggest thing of a new officer, for example, I'll just use myself, for example. I'm not originally from the area of the state of Michigan. Uh, when I moved here, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I didn't even know where to go to eat. I mean, I was taking a long way to the academy. I was taking the long way everything. And having somebody that I will just say non, non-judgmental, being, uh, developing those relationships, establish that, that foundation and organization that you're in, we'll say for obviously our Bloomfield Township Police Department, that, that, that's, that's paramount. And having those relationships, giving somebody that the ability to say, hey, I feel comfortable without being judged, we'll say. Uh, everything from the importance of where I even need, need to do banking. I don't even know what, where am I supposed to bank? Where am I supposed to live? I have a family. What's a great place to live? It, it, you know, we pride ourselves in this in this tradition or this uh, the idea of being family, and we're close knit. So I believe the idea, the development, the starting of a mentorship program begins there. And not only do you develop them as a person, but you develop them as a professional, and it also obviously going to carry out to the end result is a better relationship with the community. And coming into law enforcement, we all did it. You know, you, like you said, you came from somewhere else, but we all start usually at a younger age. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to see sometimes now some lateral transfers or, or people in, in maybe, you know, later in life deciding after another career coming into law enforcement. But the majority of the people we're hiring are out of the academy. And Bloomfield Township, we've talked in the past on podcasts about we require a bachelor's degree. So the people we're hiring or the, or the, the officers we're hiring are usually early 20s because they, they've had to spend their time in, in college. But there are kids coming out, or when I say kids, younger officers coming out of the academies who are 18, 19, 20 years old who need um, a senior officer who's been on the streets because the, the streets can be rough um, and kind of brings them along and has that connection with somebody in the agency when things get tough or, or when there's questions. Obviously, over the last few years, and I've touched on it on several other podcasts, are the polarizing incidents across the country. And, and we don't have to go step by step through each one of them. Uh, we know, you know, which ones are, are the hot topics across the country, and rightfully so on many of them. Um, let's talk about what we do when something like that happens. You know, I, I know the topic is, let's, we'll just use George, the, the Minneapolis incident with George Floyd. After that incident, what do we do as an instructor cadre with your guys? Obviously, you lead a team of probably, um, out, you know, outside your investigators, but the, in, as a, one of our lead instructors, you lead a, lead a team of, let's say, 10, 12 officers who are specialized in many areas. Um, what do we do as an agency? 
Well, as an agency, the first thing we do is we look, we review our current policies, and we want to make sure that our policies are up to par um, with the MACP accreditation. All of our policies are, but we review that, and it's no, we're just not making up stuff in regards to training as well. Uh, we review our training. We I have clear set goals. I have goals and objectives for each one of the trainers, and each one of the programs that that we teach. I guess you could say or instruct. Um, during that review, if there's something that is uh, a topic for discussion, like, hey, maybe we should think about that, or maybe there's something we need to, to, to review, uh, certainly we meet together and we say, is this something that is viable for us and our, and our citizens in the township? Yeah, and we want to be the best practice, right? But I think one of the things that, I, that the public needs to understand, you know, obviously we say the public, our, our community in Bloomfield Township, who we represent, but we know as a law enforcement community, especially the partnerships that we have that I talk about frequently, is that we start those processes when we see that stuff happening, right? We don't wait until it's national news and there's a call for reform or anything else. We internally self-reflect as an agency um, and look and say, okay, where can we be better? Um, and, and we put that into practice. And I think that's an important part that we, what we want people to understand uh, when we're talking and teaching about what we do as a profession um, is that we do recognize where there's need for improvement and for to adopt better standards. Right, the idea be be between uh, being proactive and reactive. And I think that as a group, as an organization, as a training unit, we're very proactive in the stuff that we train or the ideas that we come up with. I don't want to sit there and say, well, let's do this because it's been done somewhere else. Let's think about what taking an incident or, or even a scenario and say, what if this happens here? Like, we should train on this now. Or we should really think about this because what if it does happen? And then that way it's not a knee-jerk reaction and doesn't look like, oh, we're reacting because of something that happened several states away. Right, which then affects us, though. Absolutely. Right? You know, and you mentioned the MACP accreditation, um, which is the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards um, has our own. It's, it's through MALIAC, but um, we set there's standards that we have agreed as an accredited agency that we must follow, that we have to prove on an annual basis. Um, while the reaccreditation is every three years, we have to have the proofs during those three years that we're doing certain um, steps to meet these standards. So it's there's work that goes involved in all of this. It's just not um, a free-for-all for the officers. Um, we, we have standards and ex expectations that must follow. Yes, and even go one step further, we have policy review committee all the time, as you know. So we're always constantly trying to make ourselves better because the last thing we want to do is obviously violate our own policies. And if it doesn't seem like it's working or doesn't seem like that's the best practice, then we need to meet as a team that we do, and we say we need to fix this. We have to fix this, not only because of standards, but let it be known also that a lot of the standards that we did have, we already we were already there. We had a minimal amount of corrections that we needed to do. Yeah. we talk, You mentioned at the beginning all the certifications you had to get, right? Um, when, and when we talk about certifications, I think it's also important to recognize that there's certifications in everything. You know, um, we have guys certified in combat casualty care, uh, which requires a lot of training by professionals. We have um, taser instructors. You mentioned that. It's funny because we, I think it was today that we were talking with some of the younger guys about what it was like to work with some of the retirees when we started in 2000. Um, and their stories about the tools and techniques that they use then. And now here we are 23, 24 years into our career and the tools and techniques that have changed in our time. Um, you mentioned tasers. What, what, I think when we started, we had pepper spray and a baton. 
you know, and a, and a firearm um, as our primary weapons. Now we have, you name it, um, our, our gun belts are full, our, our vests are full of different types of, of impact weapons, less than lethal force. I mean, I know you're big on teaching that part of it is what can we do um, in a situation to defend ourselves, defend obviously the public um, and our community. When we talk about the use of force, um, every year we do annual reports. So it doesn't, after each incident, and we usually get, I don't know, I think it's close to 12 a year about um, use of force incidents, which will be increasing over the years because with the MACP accreditation, now the pointing of a firearm at somebody during a felony arrest uh, constitutes use of force. So obviously our numbers are going up because of that, but we do a review after every single use of force and we rely on you. What, yes. What's some of the process we look at with that? What are we looking for? What are we comparing it to? So at the end of the year, uh, I compile all the data in regards to all the use of force incidents. Um, the use of force, I guess, report, we'll call it, it contains everything from the time of day, uh, the shift that the officers were on, what the, we'll call them the subject or the suspects, what they did to cause the use of force, what use of force options the officer chose, injuries, and of course, if it was in policy. Uh, taking all those incidents, I compiled it, I guess we'll call them data sheets, little little graphs and so on and so forth. All the, all the information is there, but I just don't leave it there. So I look at it as a whole as what is the most popular, I guess could, you could say, or what is the incident that's causing us to possibly use force. So scenarios are designed in regards to our force and force training later on with some munitions. They're designed to kind of revolve around that, reflect around that. It's not something that we just found, I guess, on, on the internet or social media or watch on television and say, hey, we should train that because that's really neat and that's very interesting. We take the data, that the real data that we have, and we also base it upon, again, the time of day, uh, when it occurred, and we, we train on that uh, because those are the incidents that we use. And also the techniques that we use, it's not the latest and greatest of something that's really cool. We say what's meaningful. And the whole idea behind it, exactly with the report too, what's a meaningful, re what's a re uh, meaningful review, what's meaningful training. Yeah. And... So we, we talk a lot about the use of force and our reality-based training. Um, let's talk about reality-based training a little bit. We don't have to go too in-depth in it, but reality-based training is the force on force where we're creating scenarios or your, your team is creating scenarios. Um, sometimes we'll recreate scenarios that we maybe we did see on the internet um, or from an, an, a previous incident with another officer or another agency, um, or then obviously we develop our own, but we do that you know multiple times a year. Um, you know, whether we do active shooter training or um, reality-based, which back to the basics, right? A simple traffic stop and our approach on a car. Or, I mean, those are things that we still teach, I want to say frequently, um, and the value they have to them. But we talk a lot, we, we always focus, it seems, on the on the force-on-force force training, but there's so much more to our training than than just that. We talk about leadership training, and, lead, and I think you can test it. We talk leadership at Bloomfield Township every day. I think you know we meet on our Tuesday morning executive level meetings and we talk leadership probably an hour of it you know at minimum um, because we expect our road patrol officers at the line level who are out every day answering the calls for service that you and I no longer really do um, but we expect them to be leaders on the road too. Let's talk a little bit about leadership and the importance of it because 
that builds that foundation of responsibility and accountability within somebody. And when you and I'll talk, you know, we could probably talk for hours about emotional intelligence and, and understanding the self-awareness and self-reflection and empathy and why why that stuff's so important for an officer. Well, it's it's the foundation of everything. As you mentioned before, Chief, it's absolutely foundation. I mean, without good leadership, you're going to have poor management skills, poor management skills, you're going to have poor personnel, Poor personnel is going to put out a bad product, and a bad product is, again, a service to the community. Leadership is the foundation for everything that we have, that we exist as an organization. And it's all going to start, whether it's leadership in the training cadre, whether it's leadership at the shift level, whether it's, it's leadership, and, and you and I talked about this before, that leadership starts from the minute you walk into the door, the minute you say, I swear, you take your oath to uphold the law of Bloomfield Township, state of Michigan, you become a leader. Whether it's a formal rank or not, you're absolutely a leader. And I think without that, without even the small little things of doing the right thing all the time when no one's looking, I mean, that's, that's important. And that's when we talk about the mentorship program and to just go back to that. That's where it has to start. It has to start from the minute you walk in here to this agency, that's what, this, that's what we represent. And I think without the leadership, unfortunately, a lot of agencies across the United States, they, they, they're, they struggle in that. And I think we're very fortunate here that we have good leaders. We have the opportunity to provide leadership to the youngest officer, to the most senior officer. And we're constantly learning. And I think a lot of times agencies fail to do that. We kind of talked briefly about it just prior to this, no. is that, is that you, you cannot stop learning. You learn every day. And there's always something new that you have to learn. And the minute you quit learning, including leadership, is the minute you're kind of setting up for failure. Yeah, and having that humility, I'll say, or the humbleness to say, even as a chief, how many times have I come to a road, a, a road officer saying, hey, does this, you know, this affects you guys on the road. How, does this make sense? Um, and we did talk about it literally as we were walking over here today, um, because you have had the opportunity to bring, um, to do interviews for new officers over the last, um, I don't know, couple months now, you've kind of led the interview teams w with that. And one of the things we talk about when we with with the new hires, obviously we go through our normal things, but we also talk about, and especially in the second interview with the executive command level staff, the leadership that we expect of our guys. So that's part of our hiring process is kind of tell us your why, tell us what why you think our core values are so important and the service that those core values mean to our residents. Um, and I, you know, again, we could probably talk, and you and I would enjoy talking leadership all the time because we focus on it so well. Um, but understanding the importance of that leadership at the shift level and providing supervision to the road patrol officers who are answering the calls every day. We know how difficult this job's become, the many hats that they wear, um, and f to, for you to be able to bring back that inf that valuable information to our own agencies, uh, just, again, I say value a lot, but it, it's really priceless. Um, and I know as a township, our, our current administration is going to hold, um, even in, internally, they've created an, uh, a leadership program that we're going to be starting here uh, as, an, as a, a township-wide for all the leadership and people who are in leadership roles or, or secondary roles. Um, let's talk a little bit about, again, we, we, the training goes on and on, but you talk about culture and bias. Um, and I know you show a video that a lot of people, um, you know, with, with Chief Ramsey, where he talks about the human dignity and, and the respect and dignity that we provide. And that's stuff that you teach as well, is that, that biased style training. Um, why is that so important right now um, in an agency, for a community, for the response of our officers? Well, unfortunately, it's a, it's a result of a lot of the outside 
um, society, I guess you could say. And I think it's important that the community knows and our officers know and all the employees know that you know, improper actions like that will not be tolerated. And that, again, it comes back to, we talk about Chief Ramsey, the idea of respect. It comes down to absolutely respect. And unfortunately, through societal issues going on everywhere, a lot of places, that respect is long gone. And I think that, or no, I think, I believe, I strongly believe that that should be continue to be taught again from day one, from when you start the agency, even through our staff meetings, even through respect of peer-to-peer -peer respect. And it's a direct reflection, again, if, if you have the good leadership, and I keep going back to leadership, if the leaderships respect the officers, the officers respect the leaders, your product is going to be our product, again, to service to the community, will be positive. It absolutely will be. And that goes along. We'll talk We'll talk about the, the implicitness. You know, I mean, it's you have to have it. Everybody's a human being, no matter what it is, no matter who they are, no matter what they come from. And it never hurts to be reminded. It never hurts to be reminded to respect people. Yeah, and that's one of the advantages we have as our agency. We have created and, and um, assisted officers in becoming such a high level, and we can talk about the things that we do. I know uh, previous Chief Langmeyer was one of the first people in our agency to facilitate staff and command. He helped create the first-line supervision program uh, through Michigan State University. Um, we all attend that. It's a 10-week program. Pretty intense uh, leadership class, um, executive leadership class that all of our lieutenants and higher take. First line supervision class, everybody from our training field training officers to sergeants um, and on up have that. It's a, it's a precursor to the, the staff and command class. Um, you, you continue to do... Um, to be a participant in training in that. I had the opportunity to do it last year. Um, several of our guys uh, who we've had on in the past teach at the Oakland Police Academy. And those are just all valuable things that we as an agency, and again, we're just one of many agencies that do, that do it, but it gives us that um, ability to attract new people because of the culture that we have. And it shows that our guys and the girls who are training um, are experts in their field and they do care about the communities that they serve, serve. So, you know, I want to thank you for coming. We could talk again all day about leadership and uh, how important it is and where that then goes into the, the reality-based training we do and tie it back to everything that goes on within our agency. Uh, so I want to thank you for coming on today. Um, you. I know you, you, you literally just came out of some interviews for the last six hours and you mentioned real quick that we talked on the way over about how we are different when it comes to that culture and things, because we, we just learned. And as we, we kind of, when we interview lateral people, we put them through the interview, but then we gather intel from them as well when we're done, from people, from officers who are coming from other agencies and kind of get some feedback from them about why would you want to come to Bloomfield Township? Um, but what are some things you want to see different in your own agency? And that really benefits us in the end. So every single person that walks through that interview room, we can learn something from. Um, and we know how to tailor, you know, tailor the things that we're doing to what matters to the officers on the roads today, which then creates a much more productive, happier, well-trained officer. Yes, so. and, and just, just to end note that, you know, that we ask that, why do you want to come here? And the number one thing that they say is because of the family environment that you provide, the environment that shows it, and this is a, this is a big thing, is that you actually care. You actually care about us. You actually care about us as an employee. You care as an officer. I have that sense of feeling, whether it's through a ride-along or through conversation with recruiters, is that you have an agency that cares about your people. And that just goes to great leadership. And we'll end with just saying I, I think that's a good point to say because I know Officer Soli has recently uh, 
and emails from people who watch the podcast. And we're, we're not, you know, the podcast is our, in, the podcast uh, audience, you know, depending on the topic is it, there's different view, levers, levels of viewership. But when people from out of state are calling us saying, you guys really seem like you care about your people and we're not scripted here. We don't have a bunch of stuff written down to say this is what we should say today because we truly believe it. And we also want to provide the level of service to our residents and meet their expectations because they have been supportive of our police department since you and I have been here. We've had some some hurdles to jump through at times, but when they when we've needed our community, it's always come through. Absolutely. So again, I want to thank you for being here. We'll see a lot more of you. I mean, um, you know, your name's on a lot of different reports that are out there for our agency. So I uh, appreciate it. All right. Thank you, so, Chief. All right. We'll be back in a few minutes. When I was about five years old, I went to a fair with my family and I saw an officer, it was actually a canine officer, and I was like, oh, I want to do that when I grow up. I actually did an interview at the academy and after that I set up a ride-along and the ride-along was great. After I completed my bachelor's degree, I thought to myself, there's something more I want to do. And with law enforcement, I've always had an interest in law enforcement. I just never acted on it until I got my bachelor's degree. I had a personal experience when I was a nanny and the kid I nannied for got killed by a drunk boater and that's part of the reason I became a police officer. I left the Marine Corps in 2017 and I used my degree working in marketing for four years. I had been unhappy in the job I was previously in and I put myself through the police academy. It's not an overly busy department. You know, we do have our handful of, of big crimes. But you're not gonna be running from major crime to major crime to major crime. Your workday is actually what you make it. So above the calls that you get dispatched, there's plenty of time to go out there and be a proactive police officer and kind of dabble a little bit in what is your specific interest in police work and seek out the crime. Well, the community itself is, is very supportive of our police department and we are very fortunate to have that here. It's a good size department, but it's not so big where you get lost. As far as the camaraderie goes within the department, it's great. Roll call is probably one of the funnest times on shift. Getting to go out to these different calls and, and hanging with these guys or girls is a, is a bonus. I think that's the biggest thing is the respect and friendliness. We have a lot of amenities here. We can work out on duty. Um, during our breaks for lunch. There's so much more. I just, I really like working here. From the time of my ride along at the start of the application process till the final interview to the job offering, it, it's been nothing but a great experience. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's the people here, the people I work with every night. It's a great place to be and I couldn't have made a better choice. I know for me, it's an honor to work here. This is a department that I knew as soon as I heard about them. This is where I wanted to work and where I wanted to continue and hopefully work my whole career here. Welcome back to our Community Policing Podcast. Over the last two weeks since our last podcast, our police department has responded to over a thousand calls for service, 200 of them which were uh, involving traffic stops and arrests. Uh, in total, we had about uh, 17 arrests for various crimes on the road. Anything during those arrests were for drunk driving or, or possession of drugs. Um, 
We did have an incident last week that made the media that involved a pedestrian being hit by a vehicle in the area of Maple and Lasser. Unfortunately, that turned out to be a fatal accident uh, as a pedestrian ran from one uh, plaza to, uh, to another shopping center. We can't stress enough the importance of crossing and crosswalks, especially on our major thoroughfares. Uh, Maple's a busy road. There's slight blind spots with uh, incline and declines. Uh, so please, if you're an parent talking, um, watching these podcasts, please have a conversation with your children, uh, especially your children for uh, crossing the road in these crosswalks. We also had an incident uh, that we assisted on. One of our officers proactively located a vehicle uh, traveling on I-75 that was involved in a shooting in the city of Pontiac. Uh, the vehicle uh, was pursued by our officers and uh, ended in the area of Rochester Road and uh, uh, Big Beaver in the city of Troy, uh, where multiple agencies then were able to convene in the area. Af and after a foot pursuit, we were able to take one subject into custody and recover two firearms, one believed to be used in that shooting. Luckily, in that shooting, nobody was injured. Uh, we did still see a rash of stolen vehicles over the last couple weeks, uh, which is an, another topic I'm going to say every week because it's such an important reminder because we're, we still need our the help of our community to lock our vehicles and remove the key fobs out. Every one of the cars that was stolen during this time frame had the key fobs left in the vehicles, uh, and that is becoming a major problem for us. Um, we do have some events coming up in the near future uh, that you'll hear be hearing about. We have a mass casualty training incident that we'll be talking about with our community, uh, and also the Dream Cruise is coming up as well. And the last thing I'll touch on is on June 30th, the new hands-free law came into effect uh, where officers will be out looking for people who are, or drivers who are distracted by their phones. Uh, just this morning, uh, one of the officers came in and was talking to me about how somebody was watching a TikTok video while they were driving up Telegraph Road today. We want to remind people that that will be enforced. Uh, we have to get a handle on the, on the distracted driving uh, so that we can keep everybody out there safe. I want to thank everybody for tuning in again this week. We will be back in a couple weeks with uh, some hopefully some interesting topics. Thank you.